And this last study is sort of a fun one, and it's about the effect of different genres of music on the stress level of kennel dogs. Yes. And so dogs hated Iron Maiden. Oh, was that a disappointing finding for you? It was a blow. And they love the Eagles, which tells me that dogs have a terrible (laughs) taste in music. I love the Eagles. Welcome to This Week in Animal Protection. We're the Winograds. I'm Nathan. And I'm Jennifer. Today we will discuss the science of keeping animals in shelters happy and healthy. Shelters are stressful places for dogs and can be stressful places for potential adopters. Add flawed temperament testing and poorly trained staff who are not held to high standards, and the end result is that dogs are often labeled unadoptable and killed. Shelters are also stressful places for cats. Shelters that do not have a mental health component that involves touching, talking, and playing with cats in concert with a physical health component that involves vaccination on intake and other medical care and proper cleaning and disinfection protocols undermine the well-being of cats and put them at risk of getting sick and being killed. Science has an answer to these problems. Several studies show why temperament testing doesn't work, why animals are set up to fail, why animals get sick, and what shelters should be doing instead. If you want to skip ahead to that discussion, see the time signature in the attached article. Otherwise, we'll begin with the week's news. Nathan, so residents in Waycross, Georgia, are accusing the city's dog pound of mismanagement and dereliction of duty after they killed a mother dog and her four puppies, despite pleas from networkers and rescuers who wanted to save them. Tell us what happened. The Waycross, Georgia pound took in a mother dog and four neonatal puppies. The pound was trying to determine if the mother was aggressive, and they did that by prodding her with a pole while she was nursing her puppies. After repeatedly prodding her with the pole, apparently the mother dog snapped at the officer. The officer who was prodding her while she was nursing her newborn puppies. Absolutely, and didn't make contact. Nonetheless, the shelter determined that she was aggressive, and they put her down, which left the neonatal puppies needing around-the-clock bottle feeding. Several networkers and rescuers stepped up and asked to be allowed to take the puppies. They even called shelter staff. They called city officials. They called the private veterinarian where the puppies were taken to to be killed, and they ended up killing the puppies. We also know that text messages have surfaced between two shelter workers regarding the fate of these puppies. Can you tell us what that text message said? Rescuers were provided screenshots of text messages that the animal control officer sent to another staff member bragging and laughing about killing animals after collecting a surrender fee. So one of them wrote, LOL, surrender fee and euthanize. And although it's no laughing matter and it shows a lack of fitness and maturity and temperament for the job. Well, caring. The staff member subsequently claimed that she was just joking around when she basically texted, quote, stick them all with a needle after collecting the money to take them in. You and I know that this is not an uncommon thing to happen to rescuers in shelters across the country. In fact, one of the reasons why the No Kill Advocacy Center has for so long championed the need for rescue rights legislation that guarantees rescuers the rights to be able to save animals that shelters have determined that they're going to kill. And you have actually put out a call for any rescuers in Georgia who might want to work on trying to pass this kind of legislation in that state. 
Right. So this is a law that would make it illegal to kill animals when rescue groups are ready, willing, and able to save them. And as we know, they have a tremendous track record of success. So before we passed rescue rights legislation in California, roughly 12,500 animals statewide were transferred to rescue groups instead of being killed. Immediately after passing that law, that number jumped by 85,000 to almost 100,000 animals a year. So we know they work, and we know they spare animals who are going to be killed and yet have an immediate place to go. And after the success in California, we've also had success passing it in other communities like Muncie, Indiana, and the state of Delaware. Understandably, rescuers and animal lovers in Waycross, Georgia are terribly upset that these puppies were killed even though they offered to save them. But what they need to do is to take that anger and channel it towards making sure that this never happens again. And the way you do that is by making it illegal for pounds like Waycross to kill animals when these animals have an immediate place to go. And we know that these laws can exist on the city level, on the county level, and the state level, right? So activists could work to pass legislation throughout the state of Georgia, or also those activists in Waycross, Georgia, could be focused specifically on their Their community. Their local community, absolutely. Okay. If you're an animal lover in Georgia or Waycross and you're interested in introducing this legislation, please reach out to the No Kill Advocacy Center through nokilladvocacycenter.org. And not only is there a, a copy of the model legislation on the website, but there is also a step-by-step guide to getting it introduced, and No-Kill Advocacy Center attorneys stand ready to help. Okay, Nathan, and as previously reported, a recent study concluded that the breed of a dog tells us how the dog looks, but not how they will behave. Specifically, the study concluded that for predicting some dog behaviors, breed is essentially useless and for most, not very good. For example, study authors noted that the defining criteria of a golden retriever are its physical characteristics, the shape of its ears, the color and quality of its fur, its size, not whether or not the animal is friendly. Likewise, the findings would seem to cast doubt on breed stereotypes of aggressive dogs like pit bulls. Now, two studies have come out that tell shelters what we should do about this. Remove breed labels on dogs. Tell us about these two recent studies, Nathan. Since breed doesn't tell us how dogs behave, merely what they look like, the addition of a breed label adds nothing positive in terms of whether the dog and the potential adopter are going to be a good fit. So let's say you have a family that is relatively sedentary and they want a couch potato dog. If they're going to go by breed, they might not get a sedentary dog. Secondly, shelter workers misidentify breed roughly 50% of the time. So even when they list breed, they get it wrong. Half the time it's wrong. And then thirdly, with some dogs, like dogs labeled as pit bulls, people's false perception of what it means to be a pit bull in terms of their behavior cause them to have a longer length of stay. And that puts them at higher risk of being killed. So if you remove the breed label, people can focus on whether the dog looks the way they want. They can focus on the actual behavior of the individual dog, and dogs that normally would stay at shelters longer get adopted quicker. So it's good for dogs all around. So I think the takeaway is just as you wouldn't judge a book by its cover, you shouldn't judge a dog by its alleged breed. Right. 
Okay, unfortunately, there's more bad news out of Austin, Texas, which is moving one step closer to killing healthy animals again as the pound closes its doors to further intakes, saying it is overcrowded despite intakes being well below pre-pandemic levels. Austin has been removed from the Saving 95 website that tracks open admission shelters with placement rates between 95 and 100%. Nathan, this is an ongoing story that we've been reporting on. Just the dissolution of no-kill in Austin continues apace and is very heartbreaking. What can you tell us about the recent developments in the story? Well, so leadership at the pound appears to be grooming city leaders to accept what they deem the inevitability of killing. And actually, there was a heated discussion at the Austin Animal Welfare Commission this month, and several of the commissioners argued in favor of abandoning the no-kill philosophy and returning the city to the dark days of openly killing healthy and treatable animals, which makes no sense given the number of communities across the country that are still placing 95 to 99% of the animals. And the fact that intakes are significantly below pre-pandemic levels for Austin Animal Center when it was consistently posting placement rates of 98% and better year after year after year. And while shelter leadership continues to blame the public for surrendering animals, the fact remains that it refuses to fully implement the 2010 no-kill plan by not having off adoptions, by undermining partnerships with rescue groups, by not being open fully on weekends when people are off of work and children are out of school and able to visit and adopt. And for all the reasons, the Austin Animal Welfare Commission passed a vote of no confidence in shelter leadership, as we talked about on in previous podcasts. In terms of what we know about the history of no-kill in Austin, it's that it was very bad. They were killing huge numbers of animals. And then there was a movement to reform the shelter and have it embrace the no-kill equation model of sheltering to the point that those activists were successful in getting a no-kill plan passed by the city. And as you mentioned, year after year, was posting record high placement rates and became sort of a beacon of hope across the country and a kind of famous example of no-kill that activists across the country were turning to for inspiration. And now we know that over the last several years, they've systematically abandoned the tenets of the no-kill equation and the no-kill plan to the point where things are completely falling apart now and they're threatening to go back to killing the way they did before. If there was acrimony by the public prior to the implementation of the no-kill plan, simply announcing that they're going to abandon it completely and go back to killing the way that they were before, how in their mind is that a solution to this problem? Well, I think the new leadership of the shelter isn't interested in fixing the problem if the problem is defined as killing dogs and cats. I think they define the problem much more narrowly of we're overcrowded. So we have dogs in temporary cages in the truck port because we don't have enough kennel space. And therefore, the problem in their mind is we need to not set up temporary housing for dogs, which isn't the worst thing in the world. In fact, that is what shelters should do on the occasion when there are space crunches, find ways, creative ways to place dogs. However, new leadership at the shelter that is responsible for the pullback from the 2010 no-kill plan and who has demonstrated that they are not interested in fully implementing that plan, which is based on the no-kill equation. So, for example, Austin Animal Center doesn't do off-site adoptions. And as we talked about in a previous podcast, despite the fact that the shelter adopts 
adopted almost a thousand dogs on Sundays alone. The shelter closed for adoptions on Sundays, putting these dogs at risk since they're not going out as fast as they could. The second problem is that those on the outside who played a central role in spearheading that 2010 no-kill plan seem to be MIA. If you go on the Facebook page of Fix Austin, for example, during this current crisis, you won't see any posts talking about the problems at the shelter, how they are the fault of shelter leadership, and what they should be doing instead. It's essentially become a cheerleading page for Austin Pets Alive. And we know Austin Pets Alive shares a fair amount of the blame for the dissolution of No Kill in Austin for several reasons. One, they are not rescuing as many animals as they have in the past and as they are required to as a condition for city taxpayers loaning them Town Lake Animal Center, the old city animal shelter, which is centrally located where people live, work, and play, and that does get a lot of foot traffic. The second reason why Austin Pets Alive bears some of the blame is rather than rescue more animals from Austin Animal Center, they are insisting that they be allowed to bring in out-of-county animals while local animals face the risk of being killed. Kind of like what happened in San Francisco with the San Francisco SPCA, where they were once a leader in no-kill, and then they just modified their model and, and to just be basically a pet adoption center and not be focused on ending the killing in San Francisco. Correct. And the third reason is, of course, their philosophy of human animal support services, which essentially tells shelters to close their doors to animals in need and tell people, as we've reported over and over again, if people who find stray animals can't care for the animals themselves, to essentially leave them on the street. And we also know that the Animal Care Commission had come out with some criticisms of the shelter, specifically the things that it was not doing that it used to do norms that existed when the shelter was performing really well under the no-kill plan and has since stopped doing. What are those things? The reason that it's important to focus on this is to make people understand that no-kill hasn't failed here. An abandonment of no-kill has failed. Absolutely. And that it's not just our opinion that the fault lies with shelter leadership, but it is the judgment of the Austin Animal Welfare Commission, which reviewed the changes to practices by new shelter leadership and in passing a vote of no confidence, determined that current leadership at Austin Animal Center fails to, quote, adequately manage or support life-saving foster and volunteer programs to engage the willing public to help, to implement data-driven best practices to alleviate the ongoing space crisis, to tell the public about or market the long-stay dogs, and to accept help from or collaborate with Austin Animal stakeholders that could provide immediate free help to solve the problems the shelter is facing. In also, fact, the commission also found that shelter leadership alienates partnership organizations, volunteers, and other stakeholders, which has contributed to the shelter overcrowding and lack of volunteer support for shelter, pet care, and adoptions. And you and I know, because we have always said that one of the keys to no-kill is embracing the community and letting them help. And it appears that Austin Animal Center is no longer doing that. That's correct. And whenever you bring up shelter shortfalls, inevitably someone says, those things cost money. And as we've argued over and over, these are programs that are actually more cost effective than killing. But that aside, Austin's shelter is one of the best funded shelter systems in the country. So it's not a, an issue. It's of not money. a money issue. It has a per capita spending rate of $12 per person. 
that's over double the national average, and it's actually 12 times the rate of how much taxpayers were spending when I achieved no-kill as a shelter director. Thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed this 15-minute sample of This Week in Animal Protection. The entirety of this week's news and our main discussion are available only to subscribers. If you want to listen to this podcast and future episodes in their entirety, please subscribe at nathanwinograd.substack.com.